you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 25 through 27 this morning of Colossians 1, which is found on page 1178 of your pew Bible, if you'd like to look on there. And here in our study of the book of Colossians, of Christ above all, Paul is showing us right now what a Christ-exalting ministry, what a true gospel-centered ministry and minister looks like. See, the Colossian church was facing a religious culture, as I've told you in the past, very much like our own. False teachers were going around saying that they were Christians, saying that they were gospel ministers, and yet their lives... And their teachings told a completely different story. They were not teaching the saving gospel of Jesus Christ alone. They were teaching Christ plus mystical experiences. Christ plus secret knowledge. Christ plus religious restrictions and moralism. They were saying that Christ was good, but Christ is not enough to truly live a life for the glory and honor of God. We hear arguments very much like this in our culture. I mean, if you want to truly be used by God and experience the abundant life, then you need more than Christ, we're told. You've got to have a second wave of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have Shekinah glory dust laying on your arms. You've got to have private revelations and messages from God. You've got to bind Satan with the names of angels. You've got to return to the old covenant ceremonial dietary religious laws and restrictive living. Because the fullness of God, the argument goes, is not found in Christ alone. It's found in Christ plus all these other things. Oh, but we know Christ, they say. We're gospel ministers. Paul says here in Colossians, they're liars. Why? Well, first, because of what we already saw in verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1. Look at the true teaching of Christ. He is the invisible God made visible. He is the one who is above all things, before all things, the beginning of all things, the end of all things, the one who is to be preeminent over all things. He is the one in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell bodily. He's the one who shed his blood, and that is all that is needed to reconcile all things, to forgive all trespasses, and to impart all righteousness to all who call on him in faith. So how can you discern and identify true and false teachers in our world today? First, look at the biblical teaching of Christ. Become a student of the word. And you'll see really quick, are they exalting Christ alone or not? Look at the true teaching of Christ. And second, verses 24 through 29, we've been seeing, look at a, the true ministry. Look at a true ministry of Christ. And Paul uses his own as an example. What does a true Christ-exalting ministry look like? It looks like a ministry distinguished by these six marks. First, a Christ-exalting ministry will be marked by the atmosphere of gospel ministry. We looked at that last week in verse 24. That a ministry and a minister that exalts Jesus Christ above all else will rejoice in suffering for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his body, the church. A true gospel minister is not a hireling that Jesus talked about in John 10, verse 12, who sees the wolves coming and runs away. He, as a true shepherd, will stand with Christ 
and he will stand with Christ's people and he will take their burdens, he will take their sorrows, and he will even take their sufferings upon himself with joy. Why? Because no matter the pain, no matter the affliction, the cause of Christ and the care of his church is all that matters in his mind. So a Christ-exalting ministry will be marked by the atmosphere of gospel ministry. This morning, we're going to see that a Christ-exalting ministry is identified by two more marks. First, a Christ-exalting ministry is identified by by the authority of gospel ministry. True gospel ministry has a distinct authority that it rests all of its its ministries upon. And then we're going to see next in verse 27 the awe of gospel ministry. There's something that captivates the hearts and minds of those who are involved in gospel ministry, true gospel ministry, and we'll see what that is in verse 27. Then next week, we'll see how a true Christ-centered ministry is also marked by the approach, the aim, and the ability of gospel ministry. So how do you identify a ministry? as one that believes in the sufficiency and supremacy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It will be a ministry that possesses the atmosphere, authority, awe, approach, aim, and ability of gospel ministry. This is how you identify a Christ-exalting ministry. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 into verse 29. Paul writes this, Colossians 1.24 Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is, a, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, a mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In him we are him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of God, whose salvation we long for, and whose word we hope in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the next few moments we're about to enter into. Father, we thank you that what we're about to study are not the words of a man, but what they truly are, the word of God that is at work in those who believe. So, Father, we look forward expectantly to you fulfilling your word this morning in our presence. That as you have gathered here to this place, those who have reached out by your grace in faith to Jesus Christ. Now this morning, your word will be powerfully at work within us. Father, you are going to expose in the next few moments areas of our hearts that need to change. Areas of our lives that need to be turned away from and areas of ministry and service and obedience 
that we need to turn to. Father, I pray that your grace would shower upon us richly this morning in Christ Jesus and that your spirit would accompany the teaching of your word that we might be made one degree closer into the image of Christ this morning as we behold his glory from your word. Teach us, Father, this morning we pray, change our hearts, O God, by your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. So in his desire to not see them led astray from a pure and sincere devotion to Jesus Christ alone, after Paul introduces to us the atmosphere of true gospel ministry, in verse 24, he then lays out for us the authority of gospel ministry in verses 25 through 26. Paul writes this, of which meaning of the church, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the ministry or the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. So I want you to see this morning that this second point of our study here in this passage connects directly to the first point we looked at last week. In other words, why is gospel ministry often characterized by an atmosphere of rejoicing and suffering? The answer is here in these verses because of the authority of gospel ministry. The atmosphere exists because the authority. To put it another way, the suffering occurs because of the stewardship. Because of the stewardship. Paul says there at the beginning of verse 25, he says this, I became a minister of Christ's body, the church, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. So Paul says here first that he is a minister, literally a servant of the church. That's what diakonos means. It means a waiter or a servant or a table runner. Even though Paul was an apostle, if you think about it, a hand-picked, authoritative, sent one from Christ, he nevertheless viewed himself, even in that position, as a servant, as a servant. This is actually the third time in this letter that Paul has called himself a minister or a servant. Back in verse 7 of chapter 1, Paul says that he, alongside faithful Epaphras, was a servant of Christ. And then in verse 23, Paul says that he was a servant of the gospel. Well, here now in verse 25, Paul calls himself a servant of the church. So Paul was a servant of Christ, of the gospel, and of the church. This is a reminder to all of us that the pinnacle of leadership is humble servanthood. We see that with Paul. As Jesus said, I am among you as one who does what? Serves. And again, Matthew 20, 25 through 28, Jesus says this, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. He who would be seen as great among you must be your servant. And he who would be seen as first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see in Christ's economy, the more that you serve is the more that you lead. And the more that you lead is the more that you serve. 
That was true even of the Apostle Paul. He told the church in Corinth, which was fracturing because of people's alliances to spiritual leaders, Paul told the, Coloss- or the Corinthian church this, this is how one should regard us. Not as superheroes, he says, but as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He says, I'm just a servant of Christ, Paul says. I am a huperetas, an under-rower of Christ. I'm nothing. Christ is everything. That's what Paul was saying. I'm just the guy at the bottom of the boat who doesn't know where I'm going, who doesn't know what's happening. I'm just the guy that is sitting in the darkness with one task put in front of me. Row, row, keep on rowing, right? That is exactly what Paul is saying here in Colossians 1.25. As a minister, I've been given a stewardship from God. As a servant of Christ, the gospel, and the church, I have been given one task that I must ever be faithful in. What is that task? Is it to know the philosophies of the world? Is it to align myself with the ideologies of the lost? No. What is the responsibility that God has entrusted to me? To make the word of God fully known. This is the stewardship that God requires. This is the stewardship that the world hates. Proclaiming the word of Christ. This is the or that all true gospel ministers faithfully row, make the word of God fully known. It's what they're thinking about when they sit down in their studies. It's what they're thinking about when they step into the pulpit. It's what they're thinking about when they sit down to counsel another member of the church, make the word of God fully known. Make the word of God fully known. That's how you can discern a true gospel ministry from a false one. See, there's this advice going around in seminaries and still today to pastors. I get them in my inbox all the time. The advice is this. Find out your thing as a church, right? What makes you different from every other church and emphasize that in order to draw people into your church. Find out what your thing is. I want you to know that vice is wrong, it is unbiblical, it is worldly wisdom, and it is divisive. You know how you're supposed to figure out what your thing is as a church? Not by looking around at every other church and then looking at yourself. Open up the word of God and God will tell you exactly what your thing ought to be as a church. Open up the Bible and it'll tell you, make the word of God fully known. So you want to know one of the ways that you can identify today what a true gospel-centered church is? The Word of God will be their thing. The Word of God will be their thing. Whether it draws people or not. Whether it sets them apart from any other church in the community or not. That does not matter. God has told the local church what it's to be all about. And it is to be about making the Word of God fully known fully known. It is their focus. A true Christ-exalting ministry f- stays focused on one main thing, making the word of God fully known. And frankly, in our, t- in, t- in our society, that most likely will set you apart as a church. Making the word of God fully known. And by the way, that phrase that's given here implies something, doesn't it? I want you to think about this with me this morning. This is very important. 
That phrase, making the word of God fully known, implies that the word of God can be clearly known and understood. That is a revolutionary idea in today's society and in many churches. But this is the foundation of all gospel ministry, that God has spoken, and he has spoken in such a way that it can be clearly known and understood with certainty. It's a very popular thing for so-called ministers today to go around and say, well, you know, I don't think we can ever really know or understand God's word with any clarity or certainty in this area. To which I say, then, why in the world are you a minister? And what in the world are you administering, if not the word of God? Any person who says to you, mark it down, you can never really understand God's word. They are not being faithful or pious. They are being rebellious and unbelieving because they are contradicting what God has said about his own word. It can be fully known. Does Christianity have its mysteries? Absolutely. Paul's going to talk about that next. Does it have some sayings that are hard to understand? Absolutely. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But the hallmark of Christianity is that this mystery that God's about to reveal has been revealed, right? As Paul says in verse 26, this mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now what? Revealed to his saints. True gospel ministry is marked not by obscurity, but by clarity. Not by empty rhetoric, but by open revelation. Not by ambiguity, but by authority. As 2 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This is a distinguishing characteristic of a Christ-exalting ministry. It knows the word of God to be the word of God. And it delivers it with full confidence and authority, knowing that it can be clearly known, it can be clearly communicated, and it can be clearly administered to God's people. Newsflash, such a belief today is highly unpopular, not only among the world, but also among so-called Christianity. Who are you to think that you have a monopoly on the truth, we're told? Who are you to put God in a box? How arrogant to think that you can know and understand God's word. When you believe and proclaim the word of Christ with that level of confidence, precision, and authority of thus says the Lord, you will make enemies. Dare I say you might even suffer for it, as Paul has just said. That's the connection between these verses. The filling up the afflictions of Christ begins as we begin to make the word of God fully known. Nevertheless, a true gospel ministry accepts that and says with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, right? I'm going to continue to make it fully known regardless of the cost. Why? Because it is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe. As Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through what? The word of Christ. For how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how shall they hear without someone preaching? So if we aim to exalt and magnify and serve the Lord Jesus Christ here in this place and in this hour, then this is the oar that is set before us in absolutely everything we do here in this church. Make 
the word of God fully known. As Paul said repeatedly, preach the word. 2 Timothy 4.2. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. 1 Timothy 4.13. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker that has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15. Over and over again, you see this in scripture. Make the word of God fully known. What is our thing, Grace Chapel? It's this. It's the word of God and making it fully known. This is the authority of a Christ-exalting ministry. It's not on a people's opinions. It's not on their stories. It's not on their education. It's not on their experience. It is on the word of God as the sole authority in faith and practice, proclaiming the word of Christ. And it is this word of Christ, it is this revelation from God that creates the distinctive awe of gospel ministry. Verse 27. And this is what I would say is the awe of true gospel ministry, it is this, glorying in the riches of Christ. If you want to know what a true gospel church looks like, it will be a church that cannot get enough of Jesus Christ, everything he is and everything he's done. Look at he says in verse 27, to them, that is to his saints, God chose to make known How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I mean, this verse, okay, I hope I can communicate it to you this morning. This verse is what keeps a pastor going in the darkest of nights. The truths in these verses. It is what keeps a believer living for Christ no matter the circumstances. This verse. See, one of the things that the Colossian heretics used to uh, draw people into their fold with was this idea of mysteries, right? That there was this deeper knowledge, this higher experience, this fuller life that's just hanging just out of reach. And if you would only recite these daily incantations, they would say, if you would only get circumcised and follow these laws, if you would only take our class and how to speak in tongues, you could join our elite club. You could be initiated and be on the inside track of knowing the fullness of God and the multitude of his many mysteries. And you don't want to miss out, do you? This is how the Colossian mystery religions worked. Is this tactic used today on Christians in America and around the world? absolutely. I'll never forget one of my classmates in college turning to me one day in art class and asking me this question. So are you in Messianic Judaism or are you only a Christian? And the implication was clear. Just having Christ is not enough. You needed Christ plus religious ceremonies and observances to truly be living right right in front of God. Or later, as a pastor, hearing how a charismatic individual was urging one of my own church leaders to take a class on how to speak and pray in tongues. Why? This was their reasoning. Because I'm afraid that if you're not careful, what you have is all you'll get. What I have? What do you mean? Christ? Oh boy, that would be a shame, right? If all I had was Christ alone. See, we're living in Colossae, and that's what I want you to see. Where people professing to believe, be believers are going around diminishing the supreme person and sufficient work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in order to draw away disciples from Christ and after themselves. Move beyond Christ to greater mysteries. 
So Paul takes that idea here in Colossians and he says, man, Christ is the greatest mystery, right? He is so rich and so great and so glorious that you will spend the rest of your life delving into what God has already revealed about him. This is what got Paul up in the morning. This is what got him up from whippings. This is what got him to stand up after a stoning and go back into town. This is what got him up from shipwrecks. This is what got him off the bed after illnesses. It was this conviction that in Christ alone, all the glorious riches of God's mystery is given to you. If only you could have the eyes to see it. This is the awe of gospel ministry. This is the engine that drives all of our endeavors as a church, glorying in the riches of Christ Jesus. And Paul helps us do that this morning by working through four wondrous truths. Four wondrous truths. First, it's the revelation of Christ. It's the revelation of Christ. The Old Testament foretold that the Messiah, the Christ, would come, but nobody ever knew who he would be or exactly when he would come. And then Jesus is born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah, least among the cities of Judah, of a virgin from the tribe and lineage of David, right? Just as was prophesied of the Christ in the Old Testament. And then not only by his birth, but also his life, teaching, and miracles all declare that even though Jesus was fully man, he nevertheless must be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, Jesus was the prophesied Christ, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. John the Baptist himself said this, Are you the one who is to come, or should we be looking for another? And Jesus replied to John the Baptist's servants, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. What was the message? That Christ, that promised mystery, is now revealed. The promised king has come. His name is Jesus. The woman at the well said in John 4, 25, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. And when he's here, he will teach us all things. And Jesus turned to him, her in John 4, 26 and said this, I who speak to you am he. Jesus is the Christ. He's the saving sovereign. The yes and amen of all of God's promises. As Acts 2.36 declares, let all know for certain that God has revealed this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Christ by raising him from the dead. This is the awe of gospel ministry, right? It's the revelation of Christ. We know who that promised king is, and I have to get out there and proclaim it to the world. The promised one has come. He who is above all things, before all things, the beginning of all things, the end of all things, the one who is preeminent over all things. This is the awe of gospel ministry, preaching Christ. This is the glory of gospel ministry, the glory of Christ. And it's not just the revelation of Christ. The awe of gospel ministry is also the revelation of this, Christ in you. Let me tell you, in the Old Testament, people knew that the Messiah would come. And even though they failed to see a lot of it because of their unbelief, they had a lot of truth revealed to them about about that Christ who was to come. But one thing the Old Testament never revealed clearly, and one thing that they never expected, 
was for the Christ to actually live within his people. To think that we would become his temple. 2 Corinthians 6.16 says this, we are the temple of the living God. Ephesians 3.17 tells us that Christ comes to dwell in our hearts through faith. Christ does. Think of that. Christ in you. He who, as Paul is going to say later, in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ in you. This is the awe of gospel ministry. The mystery, this is the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. It's the revelation that not only are we in Christ, as verse 2 of Colossians says, but also glory of glories, Christ is in us. If you want to know what the difference is between a believer and an unbeliever, it's not primarily what they look like on the outside. They look different on the outside because something drastic has happened on the inside. It's fundamentally this, the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, it's the presence of Christ. When we are saved by grace through faith, we are placed into him and he is placed into us. We become spiritually one and inseparable. And united with him, our lives, our outlook, and our destiny becomes forever changed because Christ is in us. Our lives, our outlook, and our destiny. Because look, the awe of gospel ministry is not just the revelation of Christ, that we know who Christ is. It's not even just the revelation that Christ is in you, believer. The awe of gospel ministry that blows the pastor's mind when he truly considers it is that we have, a ma- we have a message of Christ in you, what? The hope of glory. We saw two weeks ago from Ephesians 2.12 that at one time we were separated from Christ and without hope in this world. Well, now, by God's grace, we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. Notice once again how Paul is underlying the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. What what do you need in order to have a sure and confident future hope of glory? What do you need? Answer, Christ alone. Right? Christ is all you need to have a hope of glory. The hope of glory. Paul says it simply, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. As John 6, verse 40 declares, this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Not those who observe the law, not those who speak in tongues, not those who thought they saw a city in the clouds one day as the sun broke through, not those who claim mystical experiences, Not those who claim to have prophesied, not those who have cast out demons, not those who have done many wondrous works. It is those who look on the Son and believe in Him that receive eternal life and will be raised up by Him on the last day. This is Paul's message. If you have Christ in you, you have the hope of glory. So I want to encourage you this morning to look to Christ. Look to Christ and believe in him. You do not need to make it past death and stand before the judgment seat of God to know whether you are making it into heaven. Scripture teaches a completely different message. 
that you are justified and declared righteous before God and have hope of glory the moment you trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sins. So look to Christ and believe in him. He is enough to save you to the uttermost, to reconcile you to God and to secure to you eternal salvation, eternal forgiveness, eternal glory, eternal life, and an eternal inheritance in God's presence forever. I encourage you this morning, if you want to know that you will enter into heaven someday, this morning, call out to Christ in faith. For he comes to dwell in your heart through what? faith christ in you the hope of glory first john 5 12 states whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the son of god does not have life i write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of god so that you would know that you have eternal life christ in you is all that you need christ in you the hope of glory hebrews 9 28 says this christ Having been offered once to bear the sins of money, many will appear, appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So this is the awe of gospel ministry. It's the staggering revelation of Christ. It's the staggering revelation of Christ in you. It's the staggering revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory. But it's one final thing. The awe of gospel ministry, the thing that keeps you going and sharing and preaching and praying through all of life's burdens and sorrows and pains and afflictions is this. It's that this revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory, is for all. It's for all. Look at the middle of verse 27. Paul says this, how great are the riches of the glories of Christ among who? Among the Gentiles. Among the Gentiles. See, that's you and me, lest you forget it. You see, the glory of the gospel is not its exclusiveness for the few. The glory of the gospel is its inclusiveness for all, for all people of all nations all around the world. See, this is the glorious mystery that's been revealed, the glorious mystery that the Colossian believers enjoyed that Paul wanted to remind them of, and it's the mystery that we enjoy this morning as well as the church. As Ephesians 3, 6 says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. See, this mystery is given, was given in the Old Testament. For example, Isaiah 49, verse 6 says of the Messiah, It is too light of a thing that you should be my servants to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you also as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That mystery is now in glorious display. Here we are on the other side of the earth from where the gospel first went forth. As Romans 10 verses 12 through 13 says this, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Christ in you, the hope of glory for all who call on his name. This is the awe of gospel ministry. Christ in you, the hope of glory for all who call on his name, glorying in the riches of Christ Jesus. This is the mystery that God has revealed to his saints. So as these verses say, we do not need more than Christ. 
What we need is to know and to make known the greatness and the riches of the glories of Christ more fully. This is our ministry, and this is our message. Christ has come to reconcile you to God. He wants to dwell in you and to secure for you an eternal salvation. Trust in him. Trust in him today if you have not. The only hope of glory a man or woman or child can ever have is Christ in you as the hope of glory. It's having Christ in you, and Christ will come to dwell in you through faith. So look on the Son, believe in him, and receive eternal life and hope. This is our message, and this is our ministry until Christ returns. Yes, there is pain, but there is greater glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, dwelling within us. Glory so weighty that the sufferings of this present world aren't even worth being considered. Yes, there is pain, but there is greater glory, and there is always hope. No matter the sin, no matter the struggle, no matter the difficulty that you are dealing with, You have Christ in you. You have the hope of glory. That is the hope of every minister when he's sitting across across from some broken soul. And that is the hope of every broken soul as well. Christ in you. The hope of glory. So this week I urge you as servants of Christ, we must not have any other message or any other ministry than this. To make Christ fully known, both by sharing him and by showing him to a hostile world that is in desperate need of reconciliation, in desperate need of hope, and in desperate need of peace. This is your task. This is your ministry. The oar is set before you. Do not give your life's ambitions to any lesser thing. Christ must be preeminent. He must be fully known. You must make him known. Exalt Christ in you, the hope of glory for all who call on his name. We'll look at the final three points next week, but for now... This is the word of God from Colossians 1, 25 through 27, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience. To that end, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that both as individuals and as a church, though we are prone to wander, prone to leave, The God we love, though we are prone to distractions, prone to giving our lives to lesser things and lesser pursuits and lesser concerns, you this morning have brought us back to the great need of every human heart to have a hope of glory. What else matters if you gain the whole world and yet lose your own soul? We have a ministry and a message of having hope, hope, sure hope of glory. And it is found not through anything in this world. It is found through Christ alone, Christ in us. So, Father, I pray that if there is someone here this morning that recognizes that they are still at enmity with you, that their heart is still set in hostility against you and your words and your will, They recognize they need a new heart and a new mind that loves you. 
If they recognize this morning they need to be born again, I pray that they would cry out to you in faith and ask for Christ. Ask for Christ to dwell in them and for them to be put in him. Father, I pray that this morning they would be born again and that they would receive the hope of glory and that they would come to see the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to row the oar this week. Help us not to have any other message but Christ in you, the hope of glory to all who call on his name. May we be faithful in exalting Christ this week in this way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.